trials and triumphs? I think so. Only being a child herself, somewhere around 13 or 15, Mia, Rubon, Lissy, Mary's age, when Jesus was born. Mary was the only person in the world who witnessed Jesus' first and last breath. Mary watched Jesus grow up. She watched him take his first steps, make him lunch, send him off to Jewish school. It was there, she was there when he heard himself on the carpentry tools. She watched his ministry unfold and she would feel amazing joy when his name was praised. When she'd hear those stories coming back um, to Galilee and reach her home of the miracles he has performed, she would be amazed and, and just so proud. Yet she'd also experienced some great sorrow as she outlived her boy, not being able to stop him from going to the cross and to watch him hang from a tree for a crime he didn't commit. She saw it all, those troubles and triumphs. What I want to do first is call some kids up, the Sunday school kids. I want you to come. Where are you all? Come on, come on, Elsa. Come on, Howard. I'm going to ask you some questions. Is there any more kids? Come on, Asia. Where is Asia? Um, how did Mary find out, to find out about that she was going to be the mum of Jesus? The angel um, told her. Yeah. What do you reckon the angel said? Oh, think, 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 think. Mm. Greetings. That's okay. <laughs> what do you know about Mary, the mother of Jesus? Um, <laughs> she's the mother of Jesus. Yeah. What else? Who else? Hmm. Okay, it's going to be a little harder than what I thought. <laughs> okay, what do you think it would be like to have an angel visit you? Now, that one you can answer me. Come on, go, go. Surprised. Yeah, what else? Nerve-wracking. Yeah, what else? Excited. Yeah, what else do you reckon? An angel came and visited you. I'd say, what does it want? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Furious. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think it would have been like to have been Jesus' mum? Hard. Why? Because you've got to watch him die. Yeah, what else? That and um, being proud of how much he's grown. Yeah. Do you reckon she would have got him to do any miracles as a little two-year-old or a three-year-old? Come on, Jesus. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> That's probably not very scriptural either. No. Thank you, guys. Let's give these guys a hand. <laughs> okay, I want all the kids to come over into this section over here, and they're going to make a little craft while we talk. They're going to make an, an angel. Okay. So we're going to start at the beginning where God is about to bind himself to humanity through the conception and the birth of the Messiah. And it's in these moments leading up to Jesus' birth, there are two angelic encounters. The first with Zechariah, which foretells the birth of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of the Messiah. 
And it was the fulfillment of Malachi 4, which says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. These are the final verses in the Old Testament. And the Lord would stay silent for 400 years. Not a word spoken by a prophet. Not one infilling of the Holy Spirit would occur. There would be silence from on high for 400 years. Imagine that, not hearing the Holy Spirit in your life. And then we have the second angelic encounter with Mary, which describes the coming of the Messiah, the fulfillment of many verses, and in particular Isaiah 7, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and the virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. So this morning, I'm going to compare and contrast. I feel like a year 12 English student who will compare and contrast. Um, the responses from Zechariah and Mary during those angelic encounters. So we're going to read from 1 Luke 11, um, verse 11 to 20. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. This is um, Zechariah. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am old and my wife, well, she's old too. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you, to tell you this good news and now you will be silent and not be able to speak until this day happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. We're next going to read the encounter of Mary in Luke, the same chapter, Luke chapter 1, a little further down from first, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this may be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. For she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to you, me, as you have said. And then the angel left her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word brings so many aspects and so many different facets of who you are. Lord, we thank you that your word gives us uh, promise. We thank you that your word gives us instruction, Lord Jesus, of how to live our lives in a godly way. And so as we expand on the word of God this morning, we commit these verses into your hands. We open our hearts, we open our minds to hear and position ourselves to what you would have to say to us this morning. Let your presence and your Holy Spirit move in this place in Jesus' name to touch the hearts and to stir the minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Zachariah and Mary's stories start very similar. They have both started their day in the ordinary. They're doing life. They're doing their respective fields. Luke spends a lot of time in those couple of verses leading up to that passage we read, stating that Zechariah was a priest. His wife was also from a priestly family. They were both righteous in the sight of God. That meant that they were devoted to God. They worshipped Yahweh. They followed the customs and the traditions of Jewish um, peoples of that time, and yet they were barren. So on Zechariah's day, by lot, it was his turn to do those priestly duties. Uh, this meant he was going to go into the holy place and offer incense, burn some um, coals, uh, put some powdery incense into the thing. Um, and it was something he would do about once every couple of years. And, but that was part of his role as a priest. The Bible doesn't say what Mary was doing, but we can pretty strongly assume she was doing household stuff. I read somewhere that it took two hours to grind the grain and process the grain to make bread, and we nip over to coals. Two hours of a person's day to make bread, let alone weaving and spinning fibres and cooking and cleaning. Um, she was also engaged to be married. She was in a second stage of a three-part process, the betrothal phrase, which was legally binding, it could only be broken by a writ of divorce. And if a woman was found to be pregnant during this time, she would be deemed an adulteress and she could be stoned to death. So both Zechariah and Mary are going about their daily tasks and then God. Isn't it amazing, thrilling, scary, exciting, and maybe a bit more scary, that in one divine moment with God, one Holy Spirit encounter, it can change the trajectory of our life. And we will never be the same again. One minute, life is normal, constant, predictable, maybe even mundane. We're hanging out the washing, we're driving to work, and the next minute we're having an encounter with the Most High God. And we don't know what's going to happen next. Think of Gideon. Moses and the burning bush, David tending the sheep, and a visitor drops by Samuel and anoints him as king. Think of Saul on the road to Damascus. And with each of these Bible stories, they were going about their daily routine and doing the ordinary, and then God. With each of these Bible stories, their next decision 
after that spiritual encounter was the most important decision they would ever make. That next move, that next thought was vital. Some responded really well. Think of Abraham and Isaac. The verse in Genesis says, and early the next morning, Abraham ties up his donkey and goes. Some responded not so well. Think of Jonah and his initial response. Moses striking the rock. Think of the Israelites for 40 years. So what was Zechariah's immediate response? What was his next move? The Bible says he was startled and he was gripped with fear. Remember, Zechariah was a priest. He was in the temple doing the work of the Lord and being very devoted. And in first century Jewish times, this was the place where man met with God. So Zechariah was physically and literally in the position for God to speak to him. Look, I do get that the Lord had been silent for 400 years. I do understand that. And so he would have been, uh, it would have been very unexpected and he would have been startled. But why was he fearful? The Greek word here is phobos, where we get the word phobia from. And you know, some people that have phobias, clowns, snakes, spiders. I love the clowns one. <laughs> they will do whatever it takes to never meet a clown because they are fearful. They are gripped with fear. They will remove themselves from a situation to not have that fear. I've seen people run from birds flying. And birds are everywhere. Um, it is when we're exceedingly afraid or terrified of something. Zachariah had that feeling. Think of that. He was terrified. He was paralyzed with fear. This wasn't a reverent fear. This is, was an oh my, alarming fear. I wonder how many times have we positioned ourselves for God to speak to us? For instance, saying something like, God, I want you to hear, I want to hear what you have to say about this situation. Or God, I want to know what you've got planned for my life and what your will is. And when he actually does speak, we are startled and we're gripped with fear. We're either fearful that he's spoken to us or fearful of what he's going to say. Or maybe we're worried that he's going to ask us to do something we might not want him to do, might not want to do. Or maybe we're fearful because we think it's something we're not capable of doing. Or maybe when God appears, we think he's going to tell us off. He's going to punish us. And so we are gripped with fear. And yet we've asked for it. It's funny. Our natural disposition to hear the voice of God must be that God speaks for our benefit and our good. Our natural disposition must be that God speaks to us for our benefit and for our good. We shouldn't be scared. We should be excited and anticipate what God and the Holy Spirit has for is going to say to us. Jeremiah 29 says... And you know this verse well. The Lord has plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. It then goes on to say, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. That is, we position ourselves for God to speak. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, is the promise. What a promise. When we ask God we want to hear from you and uh, we should expect a response. 
And we should be excited about that response. We should have anticipation. We shouldn't be startled when the Holy Spirit speaks and we have that and then God moment. When God intervenes, his surprises will always be for his glory and for our ultimate good. So what's our response going to be? Gabriel then says his promise to Zechariah that he and Elizabeth will bear a son in their old age. And Zechariah's response is, how can I be sure of this? I'm old. Look at her. <laughs> She's old. She's not much younger than me. To which Gabriel responds, I am Gabriel. This is in direct response to Zechariah's claim of I am old. I'm just going to give you the Beck Benithan revised version here, just for a moment. This is what Gabriel's really thinking. I'm Gabriel. He says, hey, mate, I'm all the proof you need. I stand in the presence of Most High God, and I've been sent to you. Just so that you know, I've been around doing this work a long time. Just think back to Daniel 500 years ago, long before you were born, Sonny Jim. And Gabriel says, mate, you're a priest, and... You're actually standing in the holy place in the temple and you have unbelief? Buddy, this is unbelievable. You ought to know better. Now, that's just my response. <laughs> Gabriel says it with much more poise. I don't think I was cut out to be an angel. But Gabriel says it with much more poise, but I'm sure that's what he was thinking. Because we can see that Gabriel was putting Zachariah in his place. He knew, Gabriel knew his authority. And the take home from here is that when we've been sent on a mission from God, we too should have this much confidence and boldness and authority as Gabriel has because he stands and speaks the voice of the Most High God. And yet Zechariah's response to Gabriel was oozing with doubt and unbelief and excuses. He lacked trust. He had little faith in the promise that Gabriel had spoken. And Gabriel certainly pulled him up on it. And what's more, with a consequence, I reckon Gabriel would have loved this one too. Now you're going to be silent. Zip it, buddy. <laughs> the very thing that um, Zachariah would have desperately desired to have, he was bound by. He would have desperately wanted to tell everybody that his wife would be pregnant. He would have desperately wanted to tell the fellow priests that the Lord had broken his 400-year silence and that the time for the Messiah was coming. Everything within him would have wanted to share that good news. But yet, he was mute. He was silent. The biggest lesson Zechariah learnt that day was when God speaks, our only responsibility is to trust his word. So what's our response going to be this morning? Let's look at Mary's response. Yeah. Um, let's look at Mary's response. How will this be since I am a virgin? Mary's question differs dramatically from that of Zachariah's. Zachariah says, how will I know this? To which then he continues to explain to Gabriel the physical difficulties for this to occur to prevent the fulfillment of Gabriel's announcement. Mary's question, however, reflects genuine confusion. She asks, how can this be? And she qualifies her question by saying, since I don't know a man. And we all know what that means. 
Her posture was that of inquiry rather than unbelief or lack of trust. Mary would have understood the gist of Gabriel's announcement. You know, she would have caught the words pregnant, son, the Messiah, throne. She knows the prophecies because we see that based on her song when she meets Elizabeth. So we know that she would have understood the the importance of this message, but she just wasn't sure how the logistics of how it was going to occur. How do we respond? What's our response this morning when God speaks to us and we have those and then God moments? When God's spoken to us and we have a decision to make, when we've read the Bible and the Holy Spirit convicts us of our actions, or when we've heard the word of God preached and we go, oh, ouch, that hurt. I should do some tweaking there. Or when the Holy Spirit has specifically spoken to us and say, go and do this, act now, speak now. When these moments occur in our life and the Holy Spirit overshadows us, it is something mysterious, which makes the impossible more than possible. What is born from the Holy Spirit, from God's power in our lives, is holy. When God speaks to us and we respond, that's holy. Our ordinary becomes extraordinary. Our impossible becomes more than impossible. So what's our response going to be to those and then God moments? Is it going to be conditional? Will it be dependent on the nature of the task? Are we going to say to God, I'm happy to, but I just need a little bit more information? Because I need to work out whether I have the capabilities to, to be able to do what you're asking me to do. Or maybe we say to God in our conditional response, uh, can we do it next week? I just, I'm a bit busy this week. How about we book it in for the 10th? Or maybe we say to God, nah, oh, I really want some recognition while I do it. Like I want to be up front. Can I be up front? I don't want to do that behind stuff. I want to I be... I want to be the lead role. Maybe it's depending on whether we think it will work or maybe whether we think we might look like a fool. Maybe we're a bit like Zechariah and our response has been doubt and full of excuses. We're devout, just like Zechariah. We go to church, we read our Bible, we worship, But when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and it comes to the crunch, have we ever responded with doubt and disbelief? We don't trust God and his promises. Or maybe we're like Zechariah and we've made excuse after excuse. I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't have that gift. I'm not good enough. God can't use me. You don't know what I've done in my life. I've served the Lord faithfully and now it's time for someone else. I have nothing to give. I don't know the scriptures. I don't have any money. I don't have any time. Any of these ring home true? Think back to a time when you've heard or felt the Holy Spirit prompting you to do something. But because of your excuses, unbelief or doubt, we didn't do it. How has that made you feel? Think back, how has that made you feel? What do you think God was doing 
in your life at that moment? Has God given you another opportunity to experience that again? What have you been able to learn from that encounter with the Holy Spirit? One example for me is that I have trouble parting with cash. It might be generic, genetic, <laughs> generic and genetic. It might be a genetic thing. I'll give my time. I'll let you come over to my house and I'll bake you a meal. I'll give you a meal. But parting with that 50 bucks, that 100 bucks, that 1,000 bucks, oh man, that's another thing altogether. The Holy Spirit has really got to be talking to me that day. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit has often prompted me to give money to someone because, hey, I know it's not my money, it's God's. I know we are good stewards of what, and good custodians of the blessings that God has poured out from us and so we pour it out to others. I know he wants me to surrender every single thing of my life. See, I know the theory, but I have trouble doing it. Do you, are you like that or is that just me? <laughs> so when God asks me to give some money, it's that next thought, it's that next moment, it's that next decision which is crucial. What's my response going to be? God says something, that next thought is the important thought. What is it going to be? So I've had many opportunities for the Holy Spirit to prompt me, and I'm just going to share about one. And I was on my way to work. I'd drop my car and I'd walk a block or two to work a couple of years ago, three or four years ago. And as I was walking to work down Flinders Street towards Pulteney Street, I look over and there's a van there. Um, there's a lady braiding a, a child's hair. There's four or five or six children in the car and there's a man in the driver's seat smoking. So I walk. And you know that feeling that you get. The Holy Spirit was prompting me. Give them $50. I knew I had $50 in my purse. I knew it. And I said, eh. I looked over there again. That man was smoking. I thought, I'm not going to waste my money on his cigarettes, on his smoking. That's a packet of cigarettes right there or a carton, I'm not sure. $50. So I kept walking. And I got to the lights, and I crossed the lights, and I looked back, and the Holy Spirit said, give them that 50 bucks. So I kept walking into work, up the lift, <laughs> in pure disobedience to, the God, to God. It was really bad. And as I went up to the third floor where my desk is, my, my desk overlooks a window, and guess who I can see? <laughs> Man alive. So I look over there, and yeah, there they are. He's still puffing away. She's still braiding the child's hair. So, okay, God, I know I've got $50. So I pulled the $50 out of my purse. And I walked out and I walked down the lift, I uh, went down the lifts and I got to the corner. And when I looked, they had gone. They had gone. <laughs> I know. Oh, man, it was killer. I'm like, yes, God, or oh, no. I did have turmoil in my soul, I really did. <laughs> but that, that, yes, God, was only like 10%. The other 90% was disappointment. I had failed to obey. 
I had failed to trust. I go to church. I'm a devout Christian. I read my Bible. I'm a pastor. I love to worship. And yet I had unbelief and doubt about how that money was going to be spent. I wanted control. I wanted it spent in accordance with my expectations. But because of this, I failed to obey. I didn't trust God enough to think that maybe he had a plan and maybe he had a purpose for that $50. Who am I to question God? Who am I? I learned a very, very powerful lesson that day. Man. And I never want to feel that disappointment ever again. Man. And it, it was, oh, it was gut-wrenching that I had grieved the Holy Spirit. I had disobeyed. I had opportunity. When we cooperate with God, not only is the other person being blessed, but we are being blessed. We feel amazing and fulfilled because we have obeyed. You see, God will always provide opportunity for us to surrender that very thing that our, in our lives that we have trouble giving over to God. Mine is cash. And, and now, even now when it happens, I see someone. I have to be immediate in my decision. I have to immediately say, yes, God, I will obey. Because if I leave it, it won't get done. I'll, I'll rationalise it. I'll talk myself out of it every day of the week. So what is our immediate response? Think about that. What is the one thing that God wants you to surrender this morning? Because he wants us to grow deeper to him. He wants us to place our reliance on him alone. That includes every, every aspect of our life. We know this. I'm not speaking anything new to you. I really am not aren't you have heard this many times but what is our response gonna be isn't it amazing that God still uses Zachariah even though he had unbelief and God will still use us today no matter how many times we mess up he will always give us another opportunity God still pours out his grace upon us even when we have unbelief even when we make excuses even when we have doubts so what's our response going to be? We should respond like Mary. Gabriel gives, goes on and gives an answer to her question, to which Mary immediately responds, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Mary surrendered. Mary submits herself to the Lord as a bondservant, like a slave. And her faith is evident. I know I've shared this before. The word here for servant means to tie, to bind, to capture. She says, I willingly commit myself to the unconditional service of my Lord for the rest of my life. I give myself wholly to the Lord's will. I surrender my will to yours. She didn't need great understanding. She didn't need everything figured out. She had no idea what surrender would mean. She had no idea it would be a 150-kilometer journey on the back of a donkey. She didn't know it was going to mean delivering her child in a manger. She didn't know it was going to be 33 years later looking at her boy on that cross. She just said, I lay down my dreams 
I lay down my heart, I lay down my thoughts and desires to embrace your plan, to embrace your purpose. She knew there would be a cost. She knew that. She knew that it might even bring death. But she surrendered anyway. It might have brought death if she was found as an adulteress during that time before they were married. Mary knew God was in control. She had to adjust to her circumstances that the angel presented. She had to rely on that foundational principle because no one was going to believe the truth. They didn't have Facebook where um, Zachariah could text everyone that um, Elizabeth was pregnant and so now Mary was going to be pregnant. There was none of that. So no matter how hard she would explain the miracle, no one was going to believe her. When she heard the whispers, the jokes, the scorn from her community, she would have to hang on to the fact that she knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was in control. How do we go? What's our response when God throws us a curveball? When the Holy Spirit asks something from us that seems odd, that seems out of left field, what's our response? Maybe we try to resist the change and try not to adjust to the circumstances around us because we're too comfortable. For God to be in control of our life, we need to die to self. Die to what we want. And this means if we have our heart set on a dream or a desire and it doesn't happen, or God asks us to do something different, that we do it willingly and obediently and without complaining, it's no longer I that lives, but Jesus Christ lives in me. Mary had faith beyond her feelings. She had faith beyond her feelings. She responded immediately. And it says, and she says, may it be as you have said. This was a girl who had decided to accept her circumstances. She didn't wait for her emotions to catch up with her faith. She didn't ask what or when, like Zachariah. She didn't wait for a peace. She didn't ask God, the angel for time to pray about it. She didn't ask for another sign to confirm, although Gabriel gave her a sign. So I'm not suggesting that confirmations aren't important, please hear me. But her immediate response was an indicator of her heart and her posture towards the Lord. Our heart must always be willing and, our, and we must always respond immediately. Because if we delay our responses, we will talk ourselves out of it every day of the week. What's our response going to be? God will always complete his mission. He will always fulfill his promises and he is faithful to what he says. He desperately wants us to be part of his plan and his mission. This morning, may we have a posture towards God like that of Mary's, not Zachariah's. A posture that is in complete surrender and willing to trust and obey what God has said, not just once, not just at the youth camp, not just at that conference, but every day, every hour. Let our response be to lay aside our dreams and our expectations and to become that bond servant and accept the favour of God's presence. This posture of surrender 
will carry us through to the end of our lives and will ensure that we have fought the good fight. We've run the race and we've kept the faith. Because of Mary's positioning and of her heart, she eagerly accepted the task. Because of Mary's complete surrender to the Lord, she bore the Messiah who would transform the world forever. Because of Mary's decision to allow God to control her life, she witnessed the greatest act of love that the world would ever, ever see. So what's our response going to be this morning when God speaks to us? When we feel the Holy, feel the Holy Spirit prompting us, what is our response going to be? How is our heart going to be positioned? Let's pray. Let our prayer this morning be not my will, but your will be done. Lord, we are...